Okay? Is it going, Steph? I think it's going. It's so weird being on camera. <laughs> I needed that. Thank you. Uh, okay, we're going to pray, and then we'll jump in, and uh, yeah, that's that. So, as always at the RCIA, wherever you're at is okay. If you're great praying, great. If you're not, that's totally fine. Um, you at home, you know, I don't know. Do what you will. Okay. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, today we bless you and we thank you for the feast of our, uh, our Lady of the Rosary. Um, Lord, all of us probably had full days today. I know I did. Uh, and Lord, we just give that to you. Uh, we give you our, our busyness, our stress, our anxieties. Um, and Lord, I know in my life and I know in the lives of those here tonight, I know that will never end. Um, and Jesus, help me let go of that. Help me to... Embrace uh, the eternal, the true, the good, the beautiful. Um, anyone tonight who's struggling being here, Lord, pray that you would give them the grace uh, to let go and to enter in. Um, and may the words tonight be not mine, but yours. Uh, and we make our prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How's Trevor? So he is, is he, is he smart? He just, means no, this is unacceptable. <laughs> uh, Trevor is one of the smartest people I know, and he's, um, he's a part of my community of priests, and he's going to be a phenomenal priest, and I would kill to have him come to Our Lady of Lords, but it doesn't look likely, so pray for that, um, but I'm going to push for it, so... Okay, so tonight we have our topics. There goes Augustine. Um, our topics tonight are going to be, um, as you can see from your handout, I don't know if we can get that up or not, Steph, but we'll try. Um, so she does that up on the web. Our topics tonight are revelation and resurrection. I don't know that we'll get there, and you, you'll, you'll see a theme as we go through our CIA, where it's like, I'll prepare all this stuff, and then we never get there. We'll find out. And, and honestly, it's great if we don't, because usually the reason we don't get there is because you guys are actually interested. And if you're interested, I would far rather have that than me going through things that just as complete things. Okay? Tell them that I emailed it, the handout. So Steph, for you online, Steph has emailed the handout, so you should be able to access that. Um, Okay, so I didn't teach last week, but I just want to ask you guys, so can anybody give me a review of what Trevor talked about last week? Without looking in their notes. Without looking in their notes. <laughs> yeah. Dogs have mortal souls. Say that again? Dogs have mortal souls. Dogs have mortal souls. <laughs> yes, that is true. Trevor and I are exactly 100% on the page, same page there, but we are that they have mortal souls. But there's a nuance, but I, that's too much. She didn't even say that. <laughs> so, yeah. There's higher and lower faculties um, in our soul. There's Good. intellect being high. Good. Intellect being low. So our souls have different faculties. What does the word faculty mean? What's another word for that? 
Because we, we use these words, and sometimes I'm like, I remember going through philosophy, and I was like, what the hell does faculty mean? Is that like your teachers at school? What's, what's a faculty of the soul? What is it? Capability. Okay, capability. Good. That's another good word. It's power. Right? It's another word for capability or faculty. So your soul can do things, and we use that word all the time, and I think Trevor probably touched on this. Trevor's probably about 10 times smarter than I am. Um, that's it. <laughs> but, but he is a little bit different categories than I use. But, but why have most people believed in the soul in all of human history? And if you just live in our secular culture right now, if you just live in 2020, and all you do is watch scientists and people on the media, and again, I shouldn't have to say this, but I'll say it just for clarity's sake, the Catholic Church a thousand percent believes in science. The Catholic Church founded the scientific method. The scientific method is founded on the assumptions of Western civilization. The scientific method cannot exist without the things that the Catholic Church has taught for 2,000 years. It can't exist. We believe in that a thousand percent. But sometimes scientists, have you ever met someone who's like, they're, they're good in one area, so they think they know everything about everything? Mm -hmm. This means yes. This means no. Have you ever met anyone like that? Yep. Okay, just stare at me. Good. Um, sometimes what happens is people are really, really intelligent in one area, and they're really, really unintelligent in others. And sometimes you, you, you'll meet scientists who are very intelligent in science, and they're also really intelligent in philosophy. And they're really intelligent in economics and other areas. But what happens today in popular culture, I think, most commonly, is people are not very intelligent in areas of philosophy. And so what they say is they think, well, people believed in the soul and God and the afterlife because it was before science. That is so unbelievably untrue. I just, it makes me angry. That's not what happened. And, as it, that, and when, the more that people go deep in their intellectual life, they learn that people believed in the soul for reasons that have never been refuted, ever. And today, and I, guess, I want to walk through this very briefly tonight, they believe in the soul still, and I believe in the soul, because it's stupid not to. It's unintelligent not to believe in the soul. Okay, so Trevor, <clears throat> I, from when he, he sent me his notes, and from what I could tell, he talked about the different faculties, the powers of the soul, right? And so you, the way he broke it down is you have intellect. What does your intellect do? You have an intellect. What, is, what does your intellect do? It's a power. What kind of power does your intellect give you? This is that part of class where you answer. Right. <laughs> Intellect allows you to <clears throat> to take in what you see around you and come up with a reason for why that is happening. Or, or uh, good. Yeah. So, so we say so. Your senses take things in, right? Mm -hmm. But your intellect is, and you said this. Your intellect is how it's possible for you to have knowledge. Mm -hmm. There's something being handed out in class right now that I can't tell you online about. Um, so, 
<laughs> this is very basic. Um, these are the kind of things where it's like, you don't have to like have a, a doctorate in neuroscience to know this. This is common to the human experience. Um, does any, do we have anybody in class tonight? And there might be people online, I don't know. Do we have anyone here tonight though that has, any, has a background in neuroscience? Awesome. So tell me really quick, if you can, like, I don't, this is probably a bad question, but how complex is the question of how we know things? How complex is it? Yeah, how complex is the question of how we're able to know things? Um, I guess, is it complex? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you're Yeah, I know, that's like the question the teacher asked of like, read my mind, right? So, the question of how it's possible for human beings to know things is one of the most difficult questions in all of human history. It's extraordinarily complex. I'm reading a book right now, um, written by a neuroscientist actually, it's called Reader Come Home. And it's about what happens when someone reads a book and how unbelievably complex the process in the brain is about that. Um, but anyway, it's, it's complex. So the intellect is how you know things. And we're gonna get to how your brain is intricately connected to that process. But if you say it's only your brain, and there's nothing else, you're gonna end up saying really unintelligent things. And really intelligent people end up saying really unintelligent things when they say that. Okay, so your intellect is how you know things. You have a will. What does your will do in your soul? Right. Your will is how you have the power of choice. And that's really, when, when we talk about the soul, if we wanted to go, if we had a semester or a year-long course, this, this topic on the intellect is, we could spend a year studying that easily, and that, that's probably the greatest proof of the soul. But for our purposes, the easiest one is going to be here. And we'll get to that in a second. So you, tonight, for some reason, you chose to come to RCIA. You said you can go spend some time with Father Brian, see how it goes. And, and you could have chosen something else. You could have said, you know what? I don't know what TV shows are popular now, but like, what, what's that TV now? The Vice President. This is us. Oh, the, president, the Vice Presidential Debate, yeah. Yeah, this is way better. <laughs> um, you could have said, I'm going to watch the debate, you know? Um, and then you would have been all angry and upset at whatever side you're, you're against and blah, 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 blah. Which leads us to our third part of the soul, which is passions. Now, Trevor, from his notes, and it, you can slice a pie a little bit differently. Trevor also talked about memory and emotions. I don't want to get too deep in that. Those are, those are parts of the soul for sure. For simplicity's sake, I like to just use intellect, will, passions. What's a passion? 
these are hard questions, right? Like I remember going through seminary and I was in philosophy for two years. And like I'd always heard these words. But until someone says, what, what is that? You're kind of like, uh, what's it? So can anybody answer what's passion? Is it a want? Is, I mean, something you want to do? Okay, it could be. That's an example of one. Is a, is a desire or want? This is not a beer. That's a lie. <laughs> Nicole. Just something you care really deeply about. Okay, it could be that, but it's broader than that. It could be, and she said something you care deeply about. It could be that, but it's broader. Let me ask you this. Passion, right, that word, what, what, without making you read my mind, another derivative of that word is passive. What's the opposite of something that's passive? Passion, what a passion is, it's a movement of your soul that you didn't choose. We have all kinds of things like that. So the emotions usually fit right there. Right? So, so if you have an emotion of, let's just say, like you feel fear. Now, sometimes we know if I'm scared of something, I could use my will, which is my power of choice, and I could say, um, I don't know, I'm scared of being, of giving a terrible homily, and which is a real fear in my life, and so I'm going to choose to think about that. And so I'm using something that is active, my power to choose, and I'm going to choose to be fearful. That's possible. But isn't it also possible that you can be fearful when you didn't choose it? This means yes. This means yeah. no. RCIA, by the way, is so much better when you guys don't just stare at me. <laughs> every year I say this, Steph knows this, Anya knows this. It's like every year I'm like, the class, it takes a little bit of time to get used to me. They're like, oh my gosh, my priest is drinking a beer. Get used to it. I'm a human being too. We can all have that moment, right? Where it's like, there are things that we encounter we can be scared of. We didn't choose it. It just happened. Same thing with like attraction. Attraction is a passion. Now you can, like if you're, like guys tend to get this more than women, but women get this as well. If you're attracted to someone, you can choose to think about that. I've never done that ever in my life. Right? <laughs> But you can choose that, but also, but usually initially when you're attracted to someone, you didn't choose, it just happens. Right? And so, so passions are movements of the soul that are passive. Right? Something arises in you, anger sometimes, something happens, you get cut off on I-25, and you feel anger. And you didn't sit in your car and you weren't like, should I be angry? Should I not be angry? I choose to be angry. Right? You don't do that. Like, someone cuts you off. It was me. And you're like, Father Brian, this is the last time. I've done this five times in the last week. Right? That's a passion. Okay, so let's, let's just pause really quick. Memory, right, is also part of this. Um, but I don't want to get too complex. So, Questions, thoughts, complaints. 
So the Trevor Labs class said that angels only have an intellect. They don't have the other faculties. Do they, do they not have a will even? That's a good question. I think I don't, Trevor would know this, this topic better than me. I don't know a lot about the study of angels. I think they have a will, but their will is, it, the angels are very much like we will be in heaven. And we're, we're ta- when we talk about sin, we're going to talk about how these two things became divorced in our life. Right? So, like, so think of it this way. <clears throat> All of us have, you know, you have something in your life where you're like, I know I should do this, but you just don't care. You ever felt that way? Thank you. Thank you. The rest of you suck. <laughs> of course you have, right? You're like, there's someone in your life who drives you nuts. You're like, I know I should be nice to that person. I should give them the benefit of the doubt. But you just don't want to. And so your mind tells you, you know, or like, here's another example. Father Mike Rapp and I were biking last week. We were on vacation. I don't tell you when I go on vacation because I'm scared you wouldn't come to RCIA. And Trevor's a better teacher than I am, so I'm like, I want you to come. But anyway, we were in Sedona, and Father Mike, um, or I'm sorry, Father Jason and I were in Sedona. Father Jason and I are biking, and he is just going psychotically fast. And my intellect is like, this is dangerous. It's not smart to go this fast downhill. We're going super, super fast. He's out of control. Maybe I should slow down. But what actually happened is I'm like, that jerk is not beating me down this hill. I am going to kill him. I'm going to beat him, right? That's, that's passion. I feel something within me. It wasn't a, just like, a, like I'm like, well, let me think about the like, thermodynamics and like, the uh, kinetics of how this bike is moving. And well, you know, I didn't think that. Okay, I've already spent way too much time on this. The greatest proof, here's the greatest proof for the existence of the soul. These are deep waters, and there's many, many more. Material things, and what, is, what, is, what do I mean by material? I don't mean Madonna, right? We're living in a material world. I'm a material girl. I don't mean that. What do I mean by material? What? The building, the floor. Physical rocks. things, right? So material and philosophy means something that's physical. Not all atheists but the overwhelming majority of atheists believe that the only things that exist are physical things. And if you are logically consistent, and the best atheists, who are some of whom I respect, I disagree with them, but I respect them, the smartest atheists who are logically consistent and who, are, who have enough integrity to be consistent, if you believe that only that the soul doesn't exist, and the soul is not physical. And we don't mean like the air. Air is actually physical, right? There is, there is matter in the air. There are elements, right? There's oxygen is a real thing. It's a, it's a physical thing. Um, the soul is not physical. And the greatest, the easiest proof, I should say it that way, the easiest proof of the existence of the soul is freedom, which is your will. Your will is your power of choice. You can be a... You know, so Sam Harris, does anybody know Sam Harris? A couple of you. If you don't know Sam Harris, so Sam Harris is an atheist that I respect. I actually think he's very logical on most issues. 
he has a weird blind spot around religion. And I've watched tons of his videos. I've read a couple of his books. He's really intelligent about a lot of things. He's a neuroscientist. He has an undergraduate degree in philosophy. He's very intelligent. He's very smart in lots of things. He's very reasonable in lots of things. He has a weird blind spot around religion where, like, um, for most part, if you want to be a mature human being, talk to people if you're going to debate someone. Don't debate someone who you know is, like, doesn't know what they're talking about. And, like, sorry, this is, like, way overboard, but just hang with me for one minute. If I want to debate a Protestant, if I, if I want to talk to the average non-Catholic Christian, mostly Protestants, most of them have not studied the way I have. They don't read Greek. They don't know the early church fathers. And I can talk to someone on the street who has no idea who St. Irenaeus is or Ignatius of Antioch. And I can destroy them. That's not a good argument, though. If you want to have a real debate, you talk to someone who's actually... There are pastors out there, right, on the Protestant side, who are every bit as intelligent as me, if not more. In fact, there are tons of them that are more intelligent than me. That's a healthy way. If you want to be a mature human being, that's who you should talk to. Right? Makes sense? Mm -hmm. so. And you don't caricature things. It's easier to caricature. So, Sam Harris, who I respect, he does that. Except with religion. So Sam Harris says in my, this is a huge, <laughs> so it happens in RCA, it's your fault. So why we never get anywhere? Sam Harris, what he does is he tends to say, well, religion, you know, there are all these people who believe in handling snakes, and they don't believe in medicine, and they're just all unintelligent Neanderthals. And I'm like, really? I'm like, we're going to talk tonight about N.T. Wright, who's one of the smartest people in the world. And I'm like, you talk to him? Because uh, he's, he's been a professor at Cambridge and Oxford, and he's one of the most widely read intelligent people in the entire world today. And I, I don't think he's an idiot. That's who you want to talk to, right? So anyway, my point is this. Sam Harris is a, is a consistent atheist. He does not believe in the soul. He's a materialist, which means he believes only physical things exist. And the consequence of that belief, if you want to not believe in the soul, if you want to not believe in the soul, you must believe that the will does not exist. And here's why. If all that exists is physical things, then there's a causal chain. This causes this causes this. And Sam Harris says this. He's a neuroscientist. He's a philosopher. I mean, he's a really bad philosopher, but he knows some philosophy. Sam Harris believes you did not choose to come here tonight. And I've, I've read him on this. I've watched him speak about this. And this is what intelligent atheists and materialists believe. You didn't choose to come here tonight. And here's why. Because the way physical matter works is that this neuron fired in your brain, which caused this neuron to fire, which caused this. And you thought that you chose, I'm not going to watch Kamala Harris and Mike Pence debate tonight. I'm going to go listen to Father Brian because he's way more intelligent and a better speaker than both of them. And you're like, that's what I'm going to choose, right? And what Sam Harris would say is you didn't choose that. And what he believes is that free will is an illusion. 
We all think we make choices, but we don't. If you don't believe in the soul, that is the only logical conclusion. Because material things, they don't, they don't, what they do is they, they follow the laws of physics and biology, etc., etc. But philosophically, freedom is only, it is only possible if there is something inside of you that is not physical. That is not what? Physical. Physical. Think of pool balls. Right? Like, if you watch an eight ball go into a pocket, and again, I'm reading this really interesting book. I'm reading a book right now on what happens inside your brain when you read a word. Amazingly complex. Um, the process that happens in your brain to read one single word, there's more like happening, there's more neurons and, and neuron like groups that are like working together than there are stars in the Milky Way to read a single word. But if that's all it is, you can never explain freedom. Freedom somehow means that something else didn't cause it. It wasn't that like yeah, this neuron fired, they made this neuron fired, they made this neuron. And, and ultimately, and, here's, and I'll pause here because I've gone too long on this. Um, for, for philosophy and for people who think deeply about these things, your will is where love exists. If you do not believe in the soul, you cannot believe in love. And again, the most intelligent materialists, people who only believe in physical things, this is what they say. And what they say, and usually when we think about love, we tend to think about romantic love. And what they say is like, you think you love her, but really what's happening is, a, is an evolutionary biological process to propagate the species. And there is no such thing as that. And let me just hit this with a, I mean, again, this, this deserves a semester course or a year-long course in philosophy about this. But let me hit this with, with just a hardcore hammer. <clears throat> Not a single one of you believes that. Not a single one of you believes that. The deepest thing it means to be a human being is to encounter love. I am not in any way unconfident about this. I talk about it all the time. Everyone, there's a reason why every single one of you in this room, myself included, the deepest desire in your entire life is to love others and to be loved. And it is philosophically impossible to explain that if all we are is physical beings. If, if, you, if you believe in love, you're just lying to yourself. Because we're just atoms firing that want to, that somehow, mysteriously, want to remain in existence. Okay, that's very deep stuff. I thought I was going to spend five minutes on this tonight. <laughs> Questions? Quick question. Um, what is the definition of an atheist? So that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. 
this is helpful. <clears throat> so the question was, what's the definition of an atheist? So, in Greek, the word for God is theos. So that's the Greek word for God. And in Greek, the, when you want to negate something, you put an alpha or an A in front of it. So that means no God. So an atheist means there is no God. There's another word, and I think most people who claim to be atheists, and it's whatever, it doesn't matter, you just got to talk to them. Most people are actually agnostics. So an agnostic, the Greek word gnosis, Gnosis is the word for knowledge in Greek. And so gnosis means just you know something. And so when you put a, an A in front of it, an agnostic is someone who says, maybe there's a God, maybe there's not. We just don't know. I think most people who think they're atheists probably fit better in this category. Um, but that's, that's what the point is. Thank you for asking that. Did that explain it though? Yes. Yeah. What's the book you were talking about with all the neurons firing through your Um, it's called it's it's interesting. It's like it's called Reader Come Home. A parishioner gave it to me. It's, it's by a woman named Marianne Wolf, I think is her name. And it's not it's not strictly a neuroscience book, but it's but it's about reading and it's about how how the neuroscience of the brain works when we read. Really interesting. I just, I'm about 50 pages in. It's been fascinating. Other questions? So do like babies and like disability, like how do we explain their soul if they don't have that intellect, that will? Uh -huh. How do we explain So we would say they would. So um, this is a little tricky, but that's a really good question. So let me repeat it for the our television audience. So babies or dis disabled people who don't seem to manifest the same kind of, they don't know or choose in the same way that you and I do, how do we know if they have a soul or not, right? And then the basic definition of a soul, I think Trevor covered this, but it's good to hit this. The word soul in Latin is anima. And so like, when you talk about someone being animated, something that's animated means it's alive. So the difference between, so there's different types of things that exist in the universe. And one of the biggest is one that's inanimate, like the tile on the floor here, versus a blade of grass. So philosophy, going all the way back to ancient Greece and Rome, um, and by the way, they wouldn't say it the same way, but in Eastern religions, they see this as well, in Eastern thought. There's a, there's a big difference between a rock and a tree. And evolution, by the way, and this is good to touch on, I believe 100% in evolution, but there's a couple of big jumps, right? So the first one is how do you get from, well, the biggest one is from some, nothing to something. That you can never explain. So nothing can't produce something. That's mystery of all mysteries. But you also can't go from a rock to a tree. Evolution can't answer that question, right? Like, you don't, you don't have an atom from a rock that all of a sudden is somehow alive. Um, and actually, even if evolution could, it wouldn't really bother Christians 
but but that's but as of now at least, it doesn't seem like evolution can explain that. Um, so this is when people talk about this in philosophy, they tend to talk about microevolution versus macro. So in a tree, right, you can explain how a tree, and I'm I'm not an expert in this, so I'm probably saying stupid things, but you can explain how one tree can evolve to a different species of tree, or maybe even a different type of, of plant. But how does a tree become a bird? And so, so what, what, what traditional philosophy, again, not just Christianity, a soul is something that's alive. So we believe trees have souls. That sounds really weird, right? People think I'm like a weird priest when I say that. I'm like, I did go to see you. I'm like, do you feel the soul in that tree? I'm like, <laughs> it sounds weird, but Plato believes this, Aristotle believes this, the Catholic Church teaches this, this is St. Thomas Aquinas, but you have to make the nuances. So... Trees have a soul because they're alive. But they have a different kind of soul than us because a tree, and like a tree from a bird, a bird can do different things than a tree. It has different powers. A bird can sense things. Right? A tree doesn't feel pain. But a bird does. Right? Um, a bird has sensation. A bird can see, but a tree can't see. And so you move from a, the technical terms for this, this is a vegetative soul. And this is what we call a sensitive soul, which means that it can sense things, right? Maybe not all the senses that we have, but it can sense, it can see or hear or feel, um, taste, whatever. I don't know if anything they can taste besides, I guess, I mean, yeah, dogs can taste, obviously. <laughs> Um, and then the last is irrational soul. Now, to, to this point, in terms of like beings on earth that we know of that are rational, the only ones we know of are human beings. Now, if there were others, if we discovered tomorrow there were others, that wouldn't bother the Christian. At least it shouldn't. Probably some of it would because they don't, haven't studied this enough. But it shouldn't bother them. There's no problem if there's other rational creatures. But we're just saying this is different from this. It's different from this. Because a, a, a dog, right, a dog is not able to make abstract conclusions and make rational thoughts. Now, a dog can think, right? People oftentimes think, you know, you hear these studies like, oh, a dolphin has, like, the same intelligence as a human being and a chimpanzee. And, like, that's, that's really fascinating. Like, our brains, right, what's the percentage? Our brains are, like, you know, 99.9% .9 similar to chimpanzees. But here's the thing, is that a, a rational soul can think logically through situations and make abstract choices that other beings can't. And that, that simple observation is what has made people for 4,000 years say... There's something different about human beings. When people say, you know, when you remember when you're in college, I went to see you and like there are great professors in different areas. And they say, what's the difference between a human being and an animal? And like one of the answers my favorite is like the opposable thumb. And the opposable thumb is like, you know, it's really important. It's like, okay, you can use tools and you do different things. But that's a really lame answer. It's a really lame answer. Like 
Plato and Aristotle have much better answers, and then what they say is that the type of soul we have is rational. You are capable, like, right? Like a dog never sits down. I love dogs. If I wasn't so busy, I would have a dog tomorrow. But a dog never sits in your living room and says, and this is the example I use every year when this question comes up. We do this. So you come home from work, and if you have kids at home, plug your ears. Um, you come home and your dog's shit on the floor. And like, do you ever, like, if, do you ever grab your dog and say, Seamus, you a-hole. That was immoral. You know what you did was wrong. Go to your room. Now what you do is you say, you probably actually say that. You scream and you say, get outside, go to your room, you're in trouble. And the dog, right, like puts his ears down and says, But we all know your dog did not make an immoral decision. Your dog did something you wanted to train your dog not to do. There's an instinct that animals have, and there's things they can learn. But it's not the same as a human being who says, here is a principle that I believe is true, and I will sacrifice myself to do what is right. We could be wrong about that. If we're wrong, it doesn't bother the Christian. But we ask this point that has not ever been shown in all of human history. All of human history. Okay. That was supposed to be five minutes. Let's take a break. Wait. Yeah, okay, okay questions. Break, we should have one more question. Okay, thank you, Seth. So. Okay, so the question is, how do we know the private revelation of Abraham is true versus the private revelation of Smith, a.k.a. Mr. Mormon? That's what the question says. Did you write that question? No. <laughs> okay. Good. Um, so this is a good transition. So, so really quick, so our next topic is revelation. And we're talking about, okay, Adam, or um, what? Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith is the founder of Mormonism. And Joseph Smith claims that an angel appeared to him and revealed things to him. Abraham claims, God revealed this to me. How am I supposed to know? Can I leave you a cliffhanger? Cliffhanger. Three to four minute break. Use a restroom. Get a water like this. And we'll pick up in three to four minutes, okay? Quick break.
talked about religion before because of those <laughs> because oh no because because if they said something please are going to talk about about that somebody needed a pair of special glasses for being a golden tablet. If God wanted me to know what that was, you know, just told me. <laughs> Yeah, but it has to be, it's only a live thing. So, like, rocks don't have a soul? Yeah. Still, if he writes that big, I can still read it. It's a small thing. It's like a simple definition. Yeah, so the soul is a part of the what? So the, the one thing I didn't get form today. Form. So so matter and form. So so like so matter is the physical stuff, but the form is like what it actually is. Right? So so you have all kinds of like cells in your body, for instance. But your your eye is different from your There's a different uh, there's a different type of being. Uh, and so so, so the example I use there is like a statue, for instance, the matter is the type of material a statue is made out of. It could be wood, it could be marble, it could be granite, whatever it is. The form is the shape. And so, in, but in human beings, things that are alive, it's a, the form is a soul, which means that's a form that is alive. It gives life. And so, you are not a bird, you are not a frog, you're not a tree. You're a human being, and your soul is the form. Form, it's, it's what you are, it's the type of being you are. So the struggle I was having last week, I couldn't quite get Trevor to explain correctly, explain where I could uh, sure. understand it, was the difference between the soul and the spirit. Yep. And the fact, because somebody had mentioned that angels are only spirits, don't have souls, I, I dug a little bit deeper while we were at dinner. <laughs> And, and yeah. Catholic teaching is that, is that the soul is what, an, what animates us or gives us life. Exactly. As opposed to, but it didn't really give me the definition of spirit. Yeah, this, this spirit, that, that is a, that's a very hard question. It's funny. It's, I didn't mean to read a book on that because I don't have a great answer to this. Um, spirit, though, tends to be like um, an ethos, which is roughly mean spirit, which is not helpful at all. But it's like, it's like the way we do things. Right, um, but I, I, I'll have to get back to you because I don't have a good answer. Okay. It was a trick I couldn't digest it either. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was like okay. Well, when Trevor talked about between spirit, and that's and a full soul. semester of philosophy, and it, and and many people go on and they study for doctorates, and it's very deep stuff. And in fact, it's some of the hardest subject matter that you can study. It's very. Okay. I'm going to find a restroom really quick. I'll be back. <laughs> According to the Catholic teaching thing that I was reading, it was it is what makes you, gives you life or makes you animate life. So it, it, it's what differentiates you between a rock and a living being. That makes, that makes, that actually makes a lot more sense. <laughs> 
book I should have brought tonight. There's there's another book I bought. It's very short. It's very boring and dry. But if you're interested in these things, I forget the author. But there's a book just called Flea. And the subtitle is Why Neuroscience Is Not Disproved Free Will. And it's from a guy who's one of the leading neuroscientists in the world. And he runs an institute that studies free will and the way our brains work. And he just walks through, and you'll hear, you know, different news sites and different articles will say, oh, like, science has shown that, like, you think you're free, but you're not. And this guy is, like, I mean, he's one of the big names in neuroscience. I, uh, Alfred what is it? Alfred How do you spell Millie? M-E-L-E. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Um, Alfred Millie. Or Millie. I will warn you, it's very boring. It walks through scientific experiments and like where people have claimed that we don't have free will and it walks through all those experiments and it shows how like this actually doesn't hold water and this is why it's not compelling. But anyway, the whole book is about like we have free will. And when you hear a scientific, like a news report that says you don't have free will, you already know it. You know you, cho you chose to come here. When you chose your spouse, you actually chose your spouse. It wasn't something fired in the back of, the, of your brain. It was like, I love that person, and I choose to pursue them. That's the, and by the way, think about if that wasn't true. If that, if that is not true, you could choose this. 
you can be like Sam Harris and you can be logically consistent. He's off on some things, but he's logically consistent on this. If you choose that, the consequence of that is your life is meaningless. It's the only logical consequence. Your life is meaningless. You don't choose anything. You're a bunch of cells and neurons of fire. Doesn't matter what you choose. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter. And, and the people you think you love, you don't love them. Everything to the depth of my experience, the depths of my soul, everything in me and everything inside every one of you says that is not true. And I, I just will die on that hill and I'll just leave you with this. Is like, if there's one thing I know is true in my life, is that that is not true. I know that my decisions matter. By the way, and also, if you, if you don't believe in free will, if you don't believe in the soul, there's no such thing as crime. There's no such thing as wrongdoing. You may think that rape is wrong, but that person didn't choose it. You can't hold them responsible. There is, there is no merit. There is no blame. There is no heroism. There is no evil. It's just matter. And nothing you do matters. Um, that's heavy stuff <laughs> and I don't believe it and neither should you okay so let's move on and we're going to talk about Revelation but first I want to talk about St. Augustine so let's look at your handout tonight um, by the way will you guys let me know when we're like getting close to time um, so the first the first quote on your handout is from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. From here on out, whenever I quote the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it is a massive book. It's like, you know, 2,000 pages long. We used to give it out, but then I realized that most people are like, thanks, FB, this is great. And they never looked at it again. So we stopped giving it out. It's an amazing resource. If you want one and you can't afford it, I will buy one for you. Happy to do that. Um, but anyway, after this, usually when I quote the catechism, it'll say CCC, Catechism of the Catholic Church. Okay, so the first one tonight, catechism in that paragraph symbol 27. First quote. The desire for God is written in the human heart. That's everything right there. The desire for God is written in the human heart. Because man is created by God and for God. And God never ceases to draw man to himself. By the way, I a thousand percent, I don't know most of you, but I believe this is why you're here tonight. You could be doing other things. The reason you're here is because God created you for him. And it's not because you heard a great argument. It's because there's something that God wrote into your heart. So God never ceases to draw man to himself. Only in God will he find the truth and happiness he never stops searching for. I gave a homily one time, so my assistant Mary, who you guys might have met, you might if you haven't met her, you will meet her. She always she she's like picks on me, which I deserve. But priests are spoiled. 
If you ever meet a priest who thinks he's not spoiled, tell him he's a liar to his face. We're spoiled. So one time I was giving a homily about this, about how no matter what it is you want, it'll get old. Right? Like, and so the homily I gave, I was like, in my room, and I was like, man, you know, I've been playing guitar since I was a junior in high school, senior, and I'm like, you know what? It'd be great. I want to move to the, I want to get an electric guitar. It sounds fun. It's like kind of sexy. It's like, you know, the priest of the guitar. And just, you know? So, I know that made most of you uncomfortable. Yes. So, so the next day, someone in our parish anonymously drops an electric guitar at my door. This is what happens to priests. So my assistant always says, FB, I really need a new car. Could you just tell them? Hey, I just need a new car, right? So, but anyway, but, but, the, but the homily I preached was like about this. It's like, I really want to get an electric guitar. It'd just be fun to kind of do that. But I also know it'll be really fun for a little while. And I'll get used to it and I'll want something else. That is true of every good thing in our lives, right? Like, the greatest good on earth, it's not, like, theological and spiritual. The greatest good on earth is marriage. It's the greatest thing on earth. I still desire, you'll hear this, I hope this doesn't scandalize you, it shouldn't. I will desire to be married until the day I die. It's natural, it's normal, it's human. We'll get to why I'm not going to get married down the road. But... That's the greatest good on earth. But, but talk to any married couple that's been married more than five years. And usually more than about two weeks. And they will tell you, I love my spouse. They're the greatest person on earth. I will love them forever. Meh. <laughs> What's next? Why is that? It's because God made us for him. And your heart and your soul always desire something that's infinite. And a human being is not infinite. Only God is. So the next quote from St. Augustine. So St. Augustine, and this is where I thought we would start tonight. You know, we've only got two hours left. So you got to be careful. But um, St. Augustine is my favorite saint. We're going to talk a lot about saints here. The greatest proof of God's existence, aside from the intellectual ones, is the lives of the saints. St. Augustine lived in the 4th century. This is um, his book called Confessions, which is his autobiography. It actually is the book that invented the genre of autobiography. St. Augustine is probably the most influential thinker outside of Jesus in all of world history. Um, it's a shame that our schools don't teach him anymore, but our schools are scared they're being biased towards Christianity, so they don't talk about Augustine. Again, Augustine's probably more influential than any thinker in history outside of Jesus himself. Augustine was the smartest thinker of the 4th century and into the 5th. He was not a Christian. His mother was. His dad was an atheist, just like my parents. Um, and Augustine was, was an up-and-coming big star in terms of he was brilliant, he was smart. And his job was he taught in the Roman Senate... He taught, who were the most important people of all the Roman Empire, he taught their children rhetoric. How to speak well, which is considered one of the most important things you could ever learn. And he was a big D. 
big deal. And this book is about how he searched for happiness everywhere. And sorry, I get emotional. You're gonna see me get emotional a lot because of my mother, blame you, mom. That's how I am. Um, that's a passion, not an action. Um, but Augustine, in the first book, the first paragraph of this book says, your second quote. He says, you've made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. There have been very few human beings in history smarter than Augustine, and he searched everywhere. He followed all the big movements of his time, he looked everywhere for happiness. He was not married because his parents, long story, wouldn't let him get married to this girl, but essentially it was the woman he wanted to marry. He had a child with her, and it wasn't like just a lust thing. A lot of people think it was. It wasn't. He loved her. He wanted to marry her more than anything. He had a child. He named his child a Deodatus, which is Latin for a gift from God. Um, a Deodatus died as a child. Augustine agonized, trying to find what he should live his life for, until he became a Christian. And he followed all kinds of different movements of the day, the smartest people he was in those circles. And what he, the big point I want to make, right, and this is, this is before we get into the next question of Revelation, is that your heart wants something more. Your heart and your mind and your soul wants something more. And I promise you, you will never be perfectly happy in this life. I promise you that. You will have great moments here. Thanks, FP. <laughs> what did Father Brian talk about? Your life's going to suck. <laughs> That's why you should be a Christian. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Your life's going to be wonderful. My life is great. I am never as happy as I wish I was. There are moments, right, like these guys know over here, I'm like, my favorite place on earth is my kitchen in the rectory over here. Pour a glass of wine. I cook dinner for friends. We put on melancholic music. And I'm like, this is about as good as it gets. But my heart always wants something more. I want something infinitely good that lasts forever. You will, I promise you, not find it in this world. And so Augustine's story, and again, I thought this would be boring. I've read this book about five times. The first time I read it, I was like, boring, fifth century, like, how is this going to be good? There's a reason this is one of the foundational documents of all world history. And I don't recommend it unless you have a teacher or you're a nerd like me. You need someone to go through it with you. But Augustine's whole story is your story. It's, I looked for happiness and sex. And I'm still hungry. And I looked for happiness and being really smart and really well put together, and I didn't find it. And I looked for happiness and being really powerful. I didn't find it. And Augustine, what he did eventually is he found Jesus. And it fit all those things, by the way, is that Jesus is pure pleasure, and that sounds weird, <laughs> right? But in the, in the purest sense, he is pure joy. He is fullness of power. He is a fullness um, of knowledge. And what Augustine did is what so many of us try to do is when he found Jesus, he gave up everything. And he said, I found him. 
I found the reason I exist. I found the, sorry, I get so emotional, but it's like, I found the thing that, that is the reason I was created. Right? I found beauty and truth and goodness, and I found it in Christ. Um, we're going to spend the rest of class talking about that. Not just tonight, but I mean the rest of RCIA. But Augustine's my favorite saint because, at least in his weakness, he reminds me of me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, so Revelation. Let's just pause. Augustine, any questions about Augustine? So his autobiography is probably the easiest, but here's what I'd say. If you want to read it, there are other books about him. I'm, I'm like kind of a nerd, and so I read really dense things. What I would say is if you want to read the Confessions, it's worth reading, but do two things. Get the one from Ignatius Press. Because what they have is they're going to have, they have footnotes. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to read it, and St. Augustine is going to say, the Manichees are doing this. And you're like, who the F are the Manichees? And they're going to have a footnote that says, here's who the Manichees were. Right? And it's going to explain all that. And it's going to say, and Augustine will say, well, here's what the Gnostics are doing. And you're like, who the hell are the Gnostics? And it'll explain it. So, so one thing is with that. Um, the Ignatius Press. I have. I, this, that's not this copy, but I have that one at the rectory. I'll send it. She'll send it. Um, and then the second thing you should do is talk to FP. Okay. And I mean that. Like, if you if you want to tackle something like that, Augustine has collections of sermons, um, and those are somewhat easier. But I, I still I think this is the best place to start with Augustine. Um, Come talk to me. Read a couple chapters. Call my assistant, Mary, who is going to be so angry I said that. Um, but call Mary and say, hey, Mary, I want to meet with FB. And I want to talk about confessions. So that's what I would do. Other questions? Um, yeah. Okay, internet questions. Oh, we're getting personal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Augustine, so the question was, what was Augustine's greatest weakness that's somewhere to mine? And I'll just, I'll be very vulnerable with this. Uh, Augustine, the way I greatly, mostly relate to him is in the struggle with celibacy. It's what? Celibacy. Okay. And, or you could say chastity. So Augustine was just very attracted to women. So am I. And... He, he desired marriage so much. And you'll hear me joke about this, and I hope this resonates with people, is that like, part of human life, and especially part of Christian life, is that to learn to love others means that you must let go of some things that you want. Um, 
And so Augustine, there's so many things, so many weaknesses of his that I relate to, not so much his strengths, but he, um, he desired marriage so strongly. And I always will. Um, but he knew that God had called him to, to, to sacrifice that out of love for God and out of the good of the church. Um, so that's, that's, that's the weakness I relate to the most. Augustine started a community of priests, and he desired to live in community life with brothers who pursued holiness and virtue and intellectual depth, which is very similar to what my community of brothers is all about. Did that answer? Yeah. Okay. So let's start our next topic. We're probably not going to get to resurrection. This is probably a big shock to everybody. But here we go. Any other questions though, before I jump to what revelation means? Okay, so Revelation is our next topic. And so if you think of our big questions, does God exist? Is, is Jesus God? Did Jesus give authority to the Catholic Church? Those are our big three. We're going to cover a hundred other questions in RCIA, but those are the big three. So last time I was with you, we tried to touch on does God exist? And honestly, I just, I hope you saw it. It's, it's again, another topic that deserves a year-long course and study. But I just think it's unintelligent to think God doesn't exist. It doesn't make sense. You have to, you have to believe crazy things to think there's not a God. It does not make sense. You have, you have to pretend that there's no way of knowing anything about anything except something you can put in a test tube. And that's just not true. But that's the dominant narrative in our culture. So, and an interesting thing is that even in America, even today, we're the most atheistic that we've ever been as a country. And still, the overwhelming majority of people believe God exists. Overwhelming. What if you don't know? What if you don't know? Yeah. Well, two that things. So, two things I would say. It doesn't mean you're unintelligent. Maybe you haven't heard the arguments. But, but what I would say is like, why do I believe God exists? I believe because I think it's intellectually true, so because of my intellect. So like someone might say, you know, I don't know, I don't know that, you know, um, pi is 3.14, I don't know any number after that. I don't know, how do I know that? And like, you know, most Christians say, well, if you just open your heart. And I'm like, I believe that. I do believe that. I believe God wrote into your heart a desire for him, and I believe that. But I'm like, some people aren't there. And they're like, my next door neighbor's a Christian and they're crazy. And they're awful and they're rude and they're just condescending. I understand that, right? Like, I can be that way sometimes. Um, but I'm like, one of the things I want to say to people like that is, it is stupid not to believe God exists. Stephen Hawking, one of the most intelligent human beings who's probably ever lived, is an atheist or was an atheist. And he would rather believe on zero evidence whatsoever that built an infinite number of universes exist on no evidence whatsoever 
than to believe that God exists. And I don't think that's because of this. Stephen Hawking didn't want to believe God existed. And I don't know that. That sounds probably harsh, but I think that. Um, and even if there were, like we talked about last time I was here, even if there are an infinite number of universes, St. Thomas Aquinas' argument is still irrefutable. And so, so that's what I want to say to people, is I'm like, you can know God exists. So, like, intellectually, and if you just think through rationally, it might not be easy, but it's worth thinking. Like, there's one question that's worth thinking about hard. This is it, right? This is it. So I want to tell people, like, you know, most Christians will say, look in your heart and see what God says. And I'm like, and I don't mean to caricature that, but kind of. I believe in God because it's stupid not to. But there's other pieces, too. Everything inside of me says there is right and wrong. God doesn't exist. It's really hard to say there's right and wrong. Sam Harris tries to argue that. He fails miserably. We'll get to that, too. We're down the road, we'll talk about that. If you don't believe in God, ultimately there is no right or wrong. We're just cells firing. We're just evolutionary processes. And it's survival of the fittest. We might not like, and this is, by the way, some of the smartest philosophers in the history have said this, um, John Locke, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who are Enlightenment philosophers, they tend to say, you know what, it's not really wrong to murder someone, but I don't want to get murdered. This is what Jean-Jacques Rousseau says in what he calls the social contract. He says, I don't want to get murdered. You don't want to get murdered. It's not wrong, but if you agree not to murder me, I'll agree not to murder you. And that's his argument for immorality comes from. Children, cover your ears. It is wrong to murder someone. I, and one more story. We're never going to get to anything tonight. This is awesome. I love it. No, this is what it should be. I was on a, um, a trip when I was a seminarian, and I was taking a bunch of college kids to a, a Catholic conference. And there was a kid in the in our, we had one of those 15 passenger vans that are super dangerous. We probably all should have died in the fiery wreck. Thank God we didn't. But anyway, we were driving back to Colorado, and this guy, he was a philosophy major at Colorado State. And he started talking to me, and like, stop it, I'm not that arrogant, all right? But he started talking to me, and he was like, he was like, okay, like, he, and he, was, he, he 100% believed there's no such thing as right and wrong. It's society made up these terms. And I kind of went right for the jugular, which probably isn't the best move, but that's what I did. And I was like, okay, there's no right and wrong. Like, it's just society imposes these categories on us, which a lot of people believe today. Because if you believe that we don't have a soul, you believe there's no God, it's very hard to explain how something could be right or wrong. C.S. Lewis, by the way, his book, Mere Christianity, he starts the book this way. And he says, if you talk to an atheist, they'll say, there's no right and wrong. Society imposes this on us. And he says, every atheist says that until their car gets sold. He says, the moment the car gets stolen, what's the first thing they do? They cry out for justice. Um, so I was talking to this guy, and we're driving back, and he's like, there's no right or wrong. And I said, really? You really believe that? And I went for the jugular, and I said, so let's just be logically consistent. Stop playing games with me. I was like, if you're, if you're really going to be, you're going to play this philosophy card, you're going to be smart, you're going to sit on Nietzsche's shoulders and say, there's no right or wrong, then rape's not wrong. 
concern. You don't want your girlfriend to be raped, and I don't want the women in my life that I love to be raped. So you have to agree with Rousseau and say, well, it's not really wrong. We just don't want it to happen to us, so we agree that we won't do it. And I just looked at him, and I looked him right in the face. This is super dramatic, but it was dramatic. I looked him in the face and I said, bullshit. I said, you don't believe that, you've never believed that, you will never believe that. Rape is wrong in every time, every circumstance, it is intrinsically evil. The guy's a devout Catholic today. And he was smart enough to know that the moment you seed, the moment you say something is always wrong, there has to be a soul. And there has to be such a thing as God. It's illogical otherwise. So, so when people say, I'm just not there yet, what I want to do is I want to say, we feel all kinds of different things, and that's good, and that's fine, but everything in you says there is right, there is wrong. Everything in you says I want more than this life. Everything inside of you says love is what I was made for. Everything inside of you says this. And intellectually, when you actually meet someone who knows what they're talking about, it's really hard to say there's no God. You have to believe something like something came from nothing. Why was the atom there that created the Big Bang? Well, it's just there. Why are there in an infinite number of universes? No reason. And, and, and this actually is not a caricature. This is actually what leading atheists say. Intelligent men and women, this is what they believe. They just, there's an infinite number of universes. Okay, half an hour. Okay. By the way, and I really mean this. I love this when this happens, guys. Our CIA should be about the real things that you're wrestling. And we're going to get there. We've got time together. At the end of class, I'll be like, oh my gosh, there's a thousand more things I want to teach you. That happens every year. That's okay. I want to talk about what you want to talk about. So other questions? Okay. Revelation. So look at your sheet. So <clears throat> the first two quotes. So John 1.18. John is one of the four Gospels. So a gospel is one of the writings in the Bible that's about the life of Jesus. So John is one of the apostles, and at the very beginning of his, his gospel, he says this. He says, um, no one has ever seen God. The only Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. And a key word here is that no one has ever seen him. We'll get to that in a second. No one has ever seen God. We'll get to that. And then the second quote goes with it. No matter how much I can know and experience about him or from him or through him, I can never know or experience the person himself in his uniqueness. So this is a massively simple concept. It's, so, it's super simple, and it's massively important. Christ, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, every major world religion that exists, every one of them agrees on this point, is that the distance between you and God is infinitely greater than an ant crawling on the floor and you. 
Christians believe that, Jews believe that, Muslims believe that, Buddhists, Hindus. And, and again, 